You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're beginning a new study of the book of 2 Timothy. We're calling Resolute. With this week's message, here's shepherding pastor Joe Cook. I hope you, like me, enjoy the videos that we have in the introduction to our our messages and we're starting a new series so this was the first time we had the video jeff spends a lot of time jeff metter spends a lot of time working on these videos and in our in our video today what you saw was a, a old man's hand and he was writing a letter with a quill pen and there at the end you saw the words resolute paul's last letter to timothy as I've been studying and thinking through this letter and, and what it means, I have felt a little bit like I'm reading somebody else's mail. Because what I'm going to highlight this morning is how personal this letter is. It is a letter that was preserved for us through the last 2,000 years, and we're going to talk about how it's meant for us as well, but it is really personal. There's a lot of things in there. There's almost like, not necessarily, not inside jokes, but inside comments that only Paul and Timothy would understand. And then there's the weightiness of it. The Apostle Paul knew his end was approaching, and he writes this letter. And as I was thinking about that, the last words that you would say, we put a lot of, put a lot of emphasis on a person's last words. And a number of years ago, about a decade and a half, when my daughter Natalie was uh, in early elementary school, her mom and I were about to go on a trip. And I guess we had carried her with us everywhere we'd been because all of a sudden I rec- recognized, oh, we're leaving her. We're, we're going away. And we're going to be gone a while. And, and I, I don't know, I got a little paranoid at the moment, but I thought, what if something happens to us? And what if when I say goodbye to her, that's the last time I see my little girl? And so I started feeling the weight of this. And so I took out a tablet and I wrote a letter. And I wrote a letter to Natalie for when she grew up or later in her life, if for some reason I wasn't there. And as I'm writing that, the thing that I'm feeling is just the intense weight of that. Suddenly, every word, every sentence carries an awful lot of meaning. I'm not going to talk about um, unimportant things. I'm going to talk about very important things. And what is it that I wanted to know? And I can remember processing this in my mind. Well, I wanted to know how much I love her. Then I, I wanted to know that I think God has created her and made her in a unique way that even as a young girl, I saw gifts in her and abilities that were going to be a blessing to her world and her community and her family. I wanted to tell her about those things, but what was the most important thing that I wanted for her? Well, as I thought through that, I thought, well, the most important thing is I want her to know Jesus as her Savior. That's the most important thing I could think of. I didn't want her to go through life alone. As I looked back over my life at that point and looked at difficult times, it was my relationship with Christ that kept me going. So in the letter, I'm trying to put in language that would draw her heart to Christ. And you know what? Words suddenly seemed just not enough. And I think the Apostle Paul felt that in this letter. This is a very personal letter from a man who's not a father. Paul was not a father. This was, his, this was a young man who he probably had led to the faith, and he's writing to him. He considers him his spiritual son. We'll see that. But he's writing to him because he wants the best for him. He wants him to navigate a difficult world, and he wants to point him to Christ. So this morning, I'm really going to highlight who Paul is, who Timothy is, and this unique relationship 
And then hopefully we'll cast a vision for what this study will be like and how it is meant to draw our hearts closer to Christ, even as Paul wanted to draw Timothy closer to his Savior. So join me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're just going to read the first two verses. Paul writes in the manner of the Greeks, and so he, he doesn't sign the letter at the end. He kind of signs it at the beginning. They would announce who they are and who they're writing to. So we read this, but, but understand, just because there is a, a method to the writing of this letter, it doesn't mean it was just kind of a standard greeting. There's a lot of information in these first two verses. Look at what we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice the word that we've named the series Resolute. That word has a, has a lot of different meanings. I want us to kind of extrapolate some things from that, understand what it means. When we hear the word resolute, you should, hear, you should think bold, confident. I like this one, unwavering committed. Just in the first two verses, we get Paul's tone in this letter and the way he's going to be exhorting and encouraging Timothy. Notice that he mentions Christ Jesus three times. Uh, come on, Paul. I mean, don't you think once would be enough? We, we get it. No, three times. And just in that two words, we get a lot of information. Christ points to his deity his long, this is the long-awaited Messiah who has come, Christ, and then Jesus. That's his name. He was a man. He had a mother. He had stepbrothers and stepsisters. He had a job. He, he walked on the earth. In Hebrew, his name was probably pronounced more Yeshua or Yahuwah. He had a name. Three times Paul reminds himself and reminds Timothy, Christ Jesus, the God-man. He was God and he was man. You see, what I see there is Paul has a resolute focus on who Christ is. And if Timothy's going to make it through a difficult world, he needs to have a resolute focus on who Christ is. And then we read other things in here. Notice that Paul begins by saying, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. There's capital A apostle, and then there's little a, lowercase apostle. Paul was a capital A apostle. He had been converted by the resurrected Christ, commissioned by the resurrected Christ. He was in the office of an apostle. He was empowered to heal and to even raise the dead on occasion. He was a capital A apostle, but what we see is the reason Paul mentions it. Notice what he says, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul's making the point, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> I wasn't just wandering around the back of the, of the temple and the back of the synagogue trying, what can I do to make a name for myself? No, the apostle Paul was called by Jesus. You see, Paul has a resolute focus on his calling. Paul knows who he is. And if Timothy's going to make it in a difficult world, it's important that he knows who he is. That was part of my heart in writing the letter to Natalie as I wanted to say things in there to help her know who she was, where she came from, and who was for her. And that's what Paul's doing here. And then my favorite part here in the introduction is Paul says, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now that word life, it's not just talking about existing. It doesn't mean he has a pulse. He's talking about life, vibrance, experience, 
life in Christ Jesus. But I want you to understand where he's writing from. Look at this picture. Tradition tells us this is the very cell that Paul was in when he was writing this letter. The man was in that concrete hole. They lowered him through that. I don't know how he wrote a letter in there. My very uh, practical mind, I was like, okay, where would you sit? Where would you lay out the paper? The, look, at the, look at the rocks. Maybe he had someone up there writing for him and he was dictating the letter. But that's the place where he was. That's the place where he's awaiting his certain death. The context of this era, we know that Paul's writing in about 65 to 67 A.D., in 64 AD, the great fire, the city of Rome took place, and the, the kind of maniac Caesar, Nero, had blamed the fire on the Christians, and he was capturing Christians and even burning them alive. And Paul had been captured, and this was where he was, and he was awaiting certain death. And guess what he's focused on? Life. Life. Isn't that amazing? Paul had a resolute focus on life, and that's where he was. And he's writing to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, this, this great promise of life, Timothy, this is the thing that I'm focused on. And then he says, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace. He wants Timothy to know that he's loved. He wants Timothy to know how important he is. You know, Timothy took over, in a sense, for Paul in Ephesus. How would you like to fill the Apostle Paul's shoes? Those would be big shoes to fill, wouldn't they? Paul had a resume. It's not one most of us would want. Let's refresh our memories. Apostle Paul, we read this. We read, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And now... We're going to hear the word danger so many times you're going to get tired of hearing it, but listen carefully to each of these. In danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all the churches. Paul said, in addition to all that trauma, in addition to all those difficult circumstances, he was worried about other people. It's quite the list up there, isn't it? How would you like to be the guy that was second in line to step into his role? How would you like to be the guy that was being mentored by him? this scarred, battered, old warrior of an apostle, and he's writing to his, his mentee, and he's saying, you're my beloved. How would you like to get a letter from the apostle Paul? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Timothy, we know this about him. In the things that we read, we find that he was rather timid. Paul tells him on multiple occasions to be courageous. Paul tells him not to let other people hold him back because of his youth. The apostle Paul knew that Timothy had Jewish mother, but a Gentile father, a Greek. And so people in that day, they had racial issues as well, just like we do today. And so there were all kinds of things that were kind of stacked against 
this young man, Timothy, and Paul says, you're my beloved, I'm for you. Paul had a resolute focus on others. Isn't that amazing? And then we move into the body of the letter. We've done the greeting. He's, he's comforted uh, Timothy. He's encouraged him with these words. And now verse 3, we read this. The first words from the man that was in that cell, I thank God. Now, gratitude. Would that be your first thought? I, I get a cold and I start thinking about me. And I'm not very thankful about the cold. He's in that stone-cold dungeon of a cell, and he says, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, let's slow down and just look at what he said. I'm grateful, Timothy, and look at what he says he's grateful for. I'm grateful for you. I remember you. I remember you constantly, every day. When was the last time someone told you, I remember you? And I think about you every single day. That's what Paul is telling this young man. He says, I'm grateful for you. I remember you. What comfort and encouragement that would be. Look at verse 4. As I remember your tears. You know what? This is one of those things we don't know exactly what he's talking about. But Timothy knows. Paul knows. He says, I remember your tears. Maybe it was at Timothy and Paul's parting. Maybe Timothy was a sensitive guy who would weep on occasion. We don't know. But Paul says, I think about that. I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So far we've heard him say, I'm grateful for you. I remember you and I long to see you. Do you see why it feels a little bit like we're reading someone else's mail? This is a man who is beaten and weathered and approaching the end of his race, and this young man is about to engage such a life, and he is writing the most heartfelt words that he can because he knows they may be the last words that he says. I long to see you. It was a two-sided relationship. It wasn't just Paul throwing the kid a bone. No, he said, you're, you're who I want to see. You're the kind of person that I want to be around. I was a hospice chaplain for a number of years, and one of the things that you learn when someone's approaching death is the people they want around them, well, it's the people that love them and the people that they love. Those peripheral relationships, they're not the people that you want to spend your time with. You want the most important people around you, and Paul has told Timothy, you're one of those. This is a bad time for me, Timothy, and, and I, want you, I want you here with me. In verse 5, I love verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Now, let's just stop there. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. There's a lot of the, the words rem remember and remind are going to show up all through this. Pay attention to those. Paul's saying, I'm reminded about something about you, Timothy, and I want to talk about it for a moment. You have a sincere faith. If you've been in church very long or if you've been a Christian very long, you know that not everybody comes across as sincere. Sometimes people can come across as being, well, let's be honest, kind of fake. And we don't really like those kind of people. Sometimes we, they wear on us. Paul says, you're not fake, you're real. That word sincere, it means this, unhypocritical. A faith arising out of an inner reality of conviction, and this is my favorite part, knowing no sham or pretense. You're real, Timothy. Your faith is real. 
You're not one of these people that's just talking a, a good game. You really do have a genuine faith. No sham, no pretense. Paul says, that's the kind of person that I want around me, Timothy, a person of sincere faith. And then he tells us this in verse 5. It's a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. As I looked at this and I thought about, again, it's like reading someone else's mail. He knows his grandmother's name. He knows his mother's name. Paul and Timothy had traveled together for a number of years on, the mission, on missionary journeys. He knows everything there is to know about this young man. He knows his grandmother. He knows his mother. And I think Paul is just being very personal, very real with him. This letter is the most personal of Paul's letters. 23 names are mentioned, and 12 of them are not mentioned anywhere else. So again, it's like reading somebody else's mail. But I think there's another reason that Paul makes it a point to mention these women. It's because of the, the very important contribution that they made towards the kingdom of heaven. Lois and Eunice. It's the only place you're going to read, really, their names. You know, you may have noticed this, but there's more men names in the Bible than there are women names. I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to invite you, don't read too much into that. Because when we find out what God holds as important, we find out that he measures greatness in a different way than humans do. In fact, his disciples were always arguing about who was going to be greatest. I mean, by the way, they're thinking, hey, this is the Messiah. He's going to be the king, and we're kind of his closest group. Well, what does that mean? It means when he's sitting on his throne, we're going to be right there. And so they started arguing about, hey, who's going to be sitting next to him, and, and who's going to be the most important? And they're bickering about this, and Jesus finds out about it, and he says this to them, among other things. He says, whoever would be first, whoever would be great among you, must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We don't know a lot about Lois and Eunice, but we know that they were faithful to what they were called to do. They served. They were faithful. As I read that, I think about a kinship that I have with Timothy. There was a story passed down to me and my family. It's about my great-grandmother. She lived over 100 years ago. Her name was Sarah Sue Green. Sarah Sue married a scoundrel. The guy was no good. He ended up leaving her, my grandmother, and her sisters. But Sarah had a faith in Christ. And Sarah had a friend who had faith in Christ. And so Sarah and her friend began talking about their difficulties and their hardship, and they agreed, you know what, Sarah, I'm going to pray for your children. She said, I'm going to pray for your children. And then it moved on, I'm going to pray for your future grandchildren. I'm going to pray for your future grandchildren. They had a prayer pact. They were going to pray for all the future generations that were going to, they were going to have from their children. That means me, my daughter, my sister, my nephews, my cousins. I've been being prayed for for 100 years by a woman named Sarah Sue Green, and it's a name nobody would ever know. We would only know Eunice because of Paul mentioning her here. When I think about the history of the world and I think about the humility of Christ and how he served, I think about how so many women have entered into that role of caring for the sick, of caring for the children, of caring for the elderly, that looks a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Speaking the truth with grace 
and care. As I think about my own life, it was my grandmother, the daughter of Sarah Sue, who her faith was, was a stellar example to me. She would care for people in the community that nobody else would deal with. I saw my mother do the same thing. My mother went to work full time. She would come home, take care of the house, take care of me, and then get up on Sunday morning and take me to the church. And she didn't just teach me the scriptures. She lived them out before me because when life got hard, guess where I saw my grandmother and my mother turn? They turned to Christ. They had a sincere faith. Paul's doing something very similar with Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I know you. I know your family. I know these strong women in your family and this heritage of faith that they have passed on to you. And Timothy, I see that in you. You know, if you were going to encourage me, if you were to say, Joe, the faith I see in your mother, I see in you, there wouldn't be much greater accomplishment than that, much greater encouragement than that. Timothy knew their faith was real, and Paul says, I see it in you, Timothy. Now he's going to move from encouragement to exhortation. He's going to tell him to do something. Look with me now at the next verse. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now let's just stop. There's a lot there. <laughs> you know what? I wish I could ask Paul. I wish I could write him back and ask him, hey, could you give us a little bit more, Paul? First of all, he doesn't tell us what the gift is. Did you notice that? In fact, when we were going through the outline a few weeks ago, I told the staff in my research, I found that there's at least three views from good scholars, scholars that we would agree with, about what the gift is. It might be his office that that was being passed on to him. It could just be an individual gift like teaching or preaching or administration, or it could be the gift, the Holy Spirit. There's a division there. And as I read through it, I realized that's the point. We don't know. He's not talking to us about what the gift is. He's telling Timothy, this is what you do with the gift. And we could talk about how it was passed to him by the laying on of hands. You know, there's not a lot of uh, conformity in the New Testament about what the laying on of hands does. We see it used in different ways at different times. And this isn't a dissertation on what the laying on of hands is. But what it is, is look at verse 6. For this reason, because of that faith, I'm telling you to fan it into flames. That's the command. That's the exhortation. So what does it mean? He brings in a metaphor of fire. Fire. I don't know if you've ever been camping and woke up in the morning and there's some embers left in the, in the fire pit and it's, you want to kind of bring them back to flame. The idea here of fanning it into, in, fanning it into a flame it's like to rekindle. The flame's already there, Timothy. You've got this gift. Now rekindle it. Bring it into a flame. You know, one of the, the leaders of the Salvation Army, the leader of the Salvation Army was General William Booth, and he wrote this to some of his uh, soldiers in the Salvation Army. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart good word. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Timothy, you've been given a gift, and I want you, I want you to fan it into flames. If you will, turn to just a couple of pages back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. A couple of pages back, chapter 4, verse 14. I believe Paul's talking about the exact same thing here. Look at what we read. 
Do not neglect the gift. Again, he doesn't tell us what it is. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. In verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That fire metaphor really works when you see what he says there. He's telling him to do not neglect it. Pay attention to it, Timothy. Look at this, fan it into flames. Don't ignore it. That idiom, the word practice, immerse, it's the idea of be in. We would say be all in, Timothy. You've been given this gift. Keep your focus. Remember what this is. It's a letter to help Timothy navigate the world. And he's saying, if you're going to navigate a difficult world full of challenges, you need to be all in on this gift that has been given you by the Holy Spirit. But, you know, at this point, I want us to pause and think about how personal this letter is, but how can we apply this to ourselves? Well, there's good news. Paul and Timothy were not blood-related. He wasn't a biological father, but they were related. They were in the family of Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would invite you to do so. You can do it by simply calling out to him, by saying, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you did exactly what you said you did. That 2,000 years ago, the God-man came to earth, put on flesh, and died for our sins. In John, we read this, to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you're children of God, well, you're a brother to Timothy and you're a brother to Paul, and the things that Paul is going to tell Timothy, they apply to us too. The minute you come to faith in Christ and the Spirit indwells you, you have a gift. You've been given something that is going to contribute to the body. Make your way back to 2 Timothy. Fan it into flames, Timothy. One person has uh, broken this down this way. Timothy, you can't be passive and expect the effects of your spiritual gift just to happen. Keep fanning into flame the coal which is already glowing. It's your responsibility to keep, your rekind to keep rekindling your spiritual gift. We have a responsibility. We've been given a gift, but how do we do that? How do we rekindle this gift? Well, back there in 1 Timothy 4, pay attention to it. Focus on it. Practice it. Try it. Reach out. Try some different things. You know, this idea that we all have a spiritual gift is, um, is confirmed by Paul in 1 Corinthians. We read, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, everyone. That means you. If you came to faith in Christ just a couple of minutes ago or 50 years ago, you have a gift. You have something that the rest of the body of Christ needs. That's in you. But Paul says, fan it into flames. And the way that we do that is going to be through what we find in the next verse. But maybe you're wondering, what's my gift? Joe, I've been struggling with that for years. I don't know what my gift is. I'm going to give you some simple ideas. One, ask the giver. Just pray and say, God, reveal to me what my gift is. And then I would encourage you to go to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, or go into Ephesians and read the list of gifts that are there. These lists aren't exhaustive, 
but it can be confusing. Spiritual inventories that are available can be helpful. We have some in the office. If you would like to talk to a pastor or an elder, we'd love to walk through that with you. Try some things. Try serving in a class. Try going and telling someone about your faith. But the way you find out what your gift is is by, by practicing it, by, by giving it a go, trying, seeing what happens. Fan it into flame. Pay attention to it. But the power to do this comes from verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. No fear. For a young man that struggled with fear, that would be important. Paul says, Timothy, I know you deal with fear. You have a sincere faith. You've been open and honest about what you struggle with. But now that you're in Christ, the power is there, Timothy. You have a source of strength. You just need to tap into it. I know that you have a spirit, Timothy, of love because the Spirit of God lives in you. You know, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but sometimes people are hard to love. Amen. (laughs) Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you have a resource. You have something inside of you. This word for love is agape. It's a supernatural kind of love. If you're struggling to love someone, then you go to the source of the Holy Spirit within you, and you interact, and Lord, I need you to empower me to love. And that word for self-control, it's a difficult word to translate. It has a range of meaning. It can mean moderation. It can mean discernment. I love how Philip Toner unpacks it in this uh, quote. He says, Paul has in mind a measure of control over one's thinking and actions. When everything is coming unglued, this quality of level-headedness will keep the Christian focus calmly on the power and the love the Spirit provides. Paul has written a letter to his beloved son, like I wrote a letter to my beloved daughter. And the things that he's going to say all the way through these next chapters and through the course of this series is he's going to be giving him little nuggets of wisdom and understanding and guidance and exhortation. Last week, Lance talked about the idea of wisdom. He talked about wisdom is different than knowledge, that we want to move from knowledge to wisdom. This isn't just about head knowledge, Timothy. It's not just about having a lot of verses memorized. It's about moving from from that to applying that and learning to depend upon the Lord. There's going to be a lot of things in here where Paul will remind Timothy about coming back to Christ, coming back to that central focus. And if you remember how we began, what did I want my daughter to know? I wanted her to know that I loved her. I wanted her to know that she had been created well, that she had gifts. And I wanted her to know that she wasn't alone. I don't know if you've ever written a letter like that. But who would you write that letter to? And what would you say to them? Weighty words, important words. And as we go through the next few weeks, and as we listen to what Paul's teaching Timothy, we can apply that to ourselves if we're in Christ. These things will help us as we walk. My heart's desire for my child was to to reach out through that letter and put her hand in the hand of Jesus and for her to walk forward with him. Because this life, here's another thing you may have noticed, it's not easy. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're smart or challenged or any of those things. It doesn't matter what demographic you're from. Life is not easy. And people are going to make it more complicated at times. You need a north light. You need something to guide. 
And Paul wants that to be Christ. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know we're not alone. And he wants us to know that we're loved. So I invite you to join us in this journey through 2 Timothy. I hope you'll find it as exciting as I do. Again, at times it'll feel like we're reading someone else's mail. But the truth is, the Spirit of God has preserved this for 2,000 years so that you and I can read it. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.